0: Good morning, Grace. Are you awake? Good, good, good. I'm awake too. It's sunlight. Two days of sunlight, no rain, no crowd over the place. Me feel, make me feel excited. So, and I'm I'm awake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for sunshine. We thank you for good health. We thank you that we are alive. Thank you we can breathe the fresh air that you've given to us. Today, as we come before you, as we continue to, to look at the message about leadership, we ask that you guide us, speak through me to become a vessel for you, so that I can communicate what you need your flock to hear today. And we commit this day to you and this message in your, to your hands, in Jesus' name. Amen. As of last week, we started talking about leadership, elders. Who are they? Today, we're going to be talking about their qualification and their responsibility with regard to the office they have been called into by God. Last week, also, we commissioned some elders and also deacons. They are also included in that capacity. Now, the book of uh, Timothy, if I'm not mistaken here. Talking about the elders, uh, the responsibility of elders is a big office that Christ has given to the leaders within the congregation. And this office is given to the men to do the work of teaching and feeding the frog. And in order to do that, God has given us guidelines as to who these people are and how they should behave. In the First Timothy three, verse one through seven, it says, This is a faithful and trustworthy saying, if any man eager or eagerly seeks the office of an overseer, bishop or superintendent, so to so speak, he desire an excellent task. Now an overseer must be blameless and beyond reproach. That word is very important because everything else the verse is going to say hedges on that phrase alone. If that phrase was not there, everything else would not be fitting anywhere. Everything else it's going to say is support that part. That above reproach talking about the character, that is what it's talking about. Now he continued to enumerate these characteristics. The husband of one wife now, I come to, from a country where you can marry as many wives as you want. Well, that, that, the constitution in Kenya, I'm, I'm very surprised they wrote a constitution 25 years ago again and they didn't put it there that you should have one wife, but hey, they left it out. Now, but the believers in Kenya understand that you already have one wife. You, if you go to Kenya, you're going to see a big big demarcation between a person who is a believer and who is not, because you're going to have one wife. And some people who are not believers, they're going to have one, but several are going to have several. Now, the difference between them is that there is no law. Here, you have a law. But you have a law here, but you have mysticism. I don't get that point, but it's what it is. <laughs> now, he continues to talk about self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That's the next most important thing he's talked about there. That is the primary duty of an elder. Then he continues, not addicted to wine, nor bully, nor quick-tempered or, and hot-headed, but gentle, considerate, free from the love of money, nor greedy for financial wealth, inherent power, financially ethical. That's another problem to have seen today in our know, churches today across America, across the world. People get in there just to get the money. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, keeping them respectful, well-behaved. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And he must not be a new convert. You can't be coming saved, good, you're saved, but you can't teach us because you just came from the woodwork. You need, you need to be chipped off and molded and know what the word of God is so that you can tell others what it is. Good, you have zeal, you have intense. You know, guys, when you got saved the first time, you are on fire, but you're on fire without knowledge. That's what he's saying. So, then he continues to talk about these, so that, tell you why he, this person should not be a new convert, so that he will not be, behave stupidly and become conceded by appointment to this high office and fall into the same condemnation incurred by the devil for his arrogance and pride. And notice the word used here, the devil. Uh, Whenever Satan's words are used in various places, he has several names. They have specific specific significance. Uh, And I'm going to talk about that for a minute. And he must have a good reputation... And be well thought of by those outside the church, so that he will not be discredited and fall into devil's trap. Notice the devil is repeated again there. So, having gone through that, God's design for the shepherd, according to that, and based on these, uh, I was teaching the elder. I'm teaching the elders' class right now, and I went the whole passage, and I categorize in four categories. All those I just said a few minutes ago, I put them in four categories. Number one, relationship to God. Number two, relationship to the family. Number three, relationship to self. And number four, relation to others. And under that, I put it this way, relationship to God, a man must be a man, masculine leader. Because in the second, first Timothy 2, 12, it says, women should not teach men. That is, I didn't put it there, that is qualification for that. About standing here and teaching to the men is a man's responsibility. Second, above reproach, without any character defect, that's what he's talking about. Able to teach, effective biblical communicator, not a new convert, mature Christian. Relation to the family, a husband, one wife, one woman, man, sexually pure. Pastor, shepherd, his children, taking care and feeding starts at home in order to do it in the church. Manage his family well, provide, lead, be an example, and love his family. Relation to self, temperate, that means mentally and emotionally stable. self control disciplined, sound of decision-making. And he continues, not given to wine, drunkenness. can't be drinking all night and coming to church drunk, and you're able to teach. It doesn't work that way. See? It's not talking that you can't drink. It's saying you're not addicted. That's what he's saying. Then he continues there. The next thing he talks about, financially content, meaning not love of money. Somebody asked John Rockefeller one question. What would you make you happy? He said a million dollars more. He had already millions. So that tell you if you ask next time he get another million he he'll say to another one. That's what he's talking about. Be content with what you have. Then he talk about relationship to others. Respectable, worthy following and imitating. Hospitable, welcoming stranger, especially known Christian for evangelism. Not violent, even-tempered. Gentle, kind, gracious, loving. Not contentious, peaceable, not quarrelsome, or divisive. Good reputation with, with outsiders, respected by known Christians, so that you can be able to win them to Christ. That is, I just capitalized all the vast, what we have just gone through. With the, that I read a few minutes ago. Therefore, having said that, an elder must be a person who desires the office and pursues it that he is going to enter. Uh, a British philosopher, G.E. Moore, uh, Moore, said this in his book called Principle of Ethica. In the first place, plainly, we are not always conscious of expecting pressure when we desire a thing. We may only be conscious of the thing which we desire and may be impelled to make for it at once, without any calculation as to whether it will bring pressure or pain. In the second place, even when we do expect pressure, it can certainly be very rare pressure only which we desire. For instance, granted, when I desire my glass of pot wine, whatever that is never drunk Port wine so, but I have also an idea of pressure I expect from it. Plainly, that pressure cannot be the only object of my desire, the pot wine must be included in my object, else I might be led by my desire to take woodworm instead of the wine which I desire. That means the direction he needs to go based on the desire. So what is he trying to say? He's saying it is absolutely necessary that the idea of the object from which the pressure is expected should be also present and should control our activity. The desire of one's heart will determine the direction of one's life and ultimately one's eternal destiny. This simple but profound truth is obvious, yet often neglected. For many of us, daily life is busy, pressured, distracted, bombarded with all what seems like unending streams of roaring enticement designed to capture our attention and shape our desire. It is the battleground that can easily hijack our spiritual life. Consequently, this is what I'm saying. Desire equals engine. Imagine a car with a body without an engine. It's not going to go anywhere. Pursuit equals the fuel. So, this gentleman or this man must have the intense desire and a fuel to pursue it. In essence, you can't sit down without doing it. So, you have to desire that office in order to be able to fulfill it. Otherwise, when Satan comes, you will not have the fortitude to stand. So, a man is not qualified to, the, to be a spiritual leader in the church if he lacks intense desire for that specific office. Neither will he be qualified just because of his gender, just because he said man. Not all men are qualified. There is disqualifier. However, let me put it this way. I or somebody else cannot disqualify from the office as a man to, to a spiritual office but you can disqualify yourself not meeting the criteria just being enumerated enumerated in 1 Timothy. So a man disqualifies himself, not someone else. So when we say somebody disqualifies, we are looking at the criteria and say, nope, you didn't meet that one, you didn't meet that one, you didn't meet one, and it's repeated. It's a habit, not just one time happening. So we need to understand that. And we had to face that a few months ago. So you can be clear of that. For someone said this, John Calvin, one of the theologians from Geneva, said this, For it is a higher matter to respect God, to represent God's Son in such a great task as erecting and extending God's kingdom in caring for the salvation soul for whom the Lord himself has condescended to purchase with his own blood and rule the church, which God has inherited—that's what John Calvin said several thousands years ago. Spiritual leadership in the church is not all about titles, honor, and glory. It is about work. That's why you saw last week, Dennis was very quick to bring the towels. They have a symbolic significance. You're gonna have to get to the trenches, and you're gonna have to sweat. You're gonna have to dig up dirt. And you had to clean it up. I, I'm talking about in a figure of speech, but I'm talking about people with the issues, sheep that are sick, you had to visit with a nursing home, marital problems, and on and on it goes. Visit them in jail too. Yeah, that happens. I'm just saying. That's the job of a an elder and a deacon, so to speak. So, Jesus said it this way, if anyone desire to be first, he shall be the last of all and a servant for all, according to Mark 9.25. A good work, yes, the Bible said, a desire in office, good work, excellent work, honorable work, but work nevertheless. Ministry is not idle man's occupation. It's It's a soul of labor. You can have a pain associated with it, but there are going to be fulfillment in it. I can tell you that for sure. What is the use of a lazy minister? This was said by Charles Spudgeon. For those who know Charles Spudgeon was one of the preachers in England with the big church at that time. He said, what is the use of a lazy minister? He is not good either to the world, to the church, or to himself. He is a dishonor to the noblest profession that can be bestowed upon sons of men. A towel was presented signifying entrance into the hard labor and cleaning of dirt in the kingdom of God among the flock of God's kingdom. That's what it was all about. So, a leader also must have biblical qualifications that we just enumerated. What does that entail? Qualification of a leader have nothing to do with giftedness. I'm going to repeat that in case you missed it. Yeah, we had that spiritual gift. No, we are not. That's not the most important part. God does not say, go out and get the most gifted man. God may, may easily and instantly create gifts in a man because gifts are given by the Holy Spirit as he will, according to 1 Corinthians 12 11. God used the donkey to talk to Barim. God can use your puppet to talk to you because you're not listening. Yeah? If you have never read the donkey story, Balaam was told not to do something, but he was so, he had his opinion. This is the way it should go. And he decided to ride a donkey to go cast the nation he was told not to go. So the angel of the Lord came in there, invisible, but the donkey could see the angel. But the person was so full of himself, he couldn't see God doing something. And he had a sword too. So the donkey crashed him on the wall and he was mad and he sat on him too and he was mad and he started beating the donkey. And the donkey all of a sudden he spoke. He said, Master, why are you beating me? Now, if animals start speaking to me, I will not be there. I will be gone. <laughs> but this man was so in his himself he didn't even realize that he was talking to the donkey. <laughs> and he asked him, have I ever done this to you? Have I not been a good servant to you? And when it finished, the Lord opened his eyes and he saw an angel standing there with a the sword and he said, if it was not this animal, I would have already killed you. Get back and God do what I told you. And he went back. Some leaders are like that. They just have to have their own way. They are the boss. Elders, deacons, we don't have bosses. The only boss we have is God. And he is the one who sent his son to die on the cross. And he is the chief shepherd. We are under-shepherd. We, we are the command. So that was, that's what it's talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. Going to seminary does not make you one qualified spiritual leader. That disciple didn't go to any seminary. Yet they wrote the Bible. So that disqualifies you automatically. It's good God go by the way. I went to. But it doesn't make me any better than somebody who didn't go, who is presented to God to serve God. God can use them like He use a donkey. So we need to get that straight. Being a good talker or, or rhetorically inclined doesn't make you any better. It just make, make you a bad, deadly weapon under Satan's hand. That's what it is. Because people aren't to think that way. Let me give you an example. Moses, when God appeared in the bush, he said, I'm not going. I stutter. I don't know how to speak. But God asked, who created that mouth? He said, you. Then God, your brother, will help you speak to you for you. Did you know he went with his brother only one time? The rest, he was, it was history. So some of us want to sit in the pews and say, I am not called to be a leader because I can't speak. See, that is estimation of you not estimation of what God says. So some of you are sitting there and you should be in leadership, but you're not because you think you have this impediment and you're looking at yourself. Start looking at yourself and look at what God created in you. God does not create something that doesn't want to do anything. You are not created just sit around. So think about that. So Moses went on to serve God in spite of himself because he presented himself as a vessel to be used for the kingdom of God. So natural abilities and spiritual gifts do not qualify one to be a leader. What one gives for money and volunteer time does not qualify you as your leader either. What qualifies a man for leadership, spiritual leadership, is godly character, and godly character established according to the criteria that I just enumerated in the book of Timothy a few minutes ago. John Maxwell said this. He teaches leaders. Being a leader is all about having genuine sorry, genuine concern for others and willingness to commit to lead others and achieve the vision. No leader can ever achieve anything greater and long-lasting alone. Teamwork goes hand-in-hand in, hand in leadership. Leadership is about people and for people. Thus, plurality of leadership is an imperative because that's what Scripture says. The other thing is, a leader in a church is a serious responsibility with eternal consequences because you're leading people from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of heaven. You're transporting their life from one dimension to the next. And the only way to lead them, you're going to have to know what the Bible had to say. Leadership requires having a biblical picture of what the local church ought to be and what it ought to be doing and continually communicating to the flock. That's why we are bringing assists so that we can talk about that also to you so you can understand what we are trying to do for the kingdom of God. It also required dealing with the problems that arise among the flock. President Kennedy said this, no easy problem comes to the President of the United States if they were easy to solve somebody else who would have solved them. Often, out of attempt to please everyone, church leaders dodge problems. And Those who know what we have gone through for the last few months know what has been going on and we didn't address the problem when we were supposed to address and it's what it is. They do not want to confront an influential church member who is insane. They don't want to teach doctrines that are not popular even if they are biblical. They do not want to confront someone who is teaching error for fear of starting up conflict. Let me give you another piece of advice. Satan has already declared conflict. We are just going to counteract it. If teaching it long is going on, somebody already declared conflict. You just have to go to defuse it. However, you can. You have to have spiritual fortitude and stamina to say that is not going to happen, and this is what the Bible says, and you need to repent or Go. There is Matthew 18. That's what it's all about. But sometimes we are not willing to do that. They don't want to get involved in resolving relational conflict in the church and in the families. But to dodge such difficult matter is to fail to leave the flock and leave them to feed for themselves. And therein, Satan have, is having a head day with them. Now, James, you know this. In a military term, this, is, this kind of attitude is called of duty. You get court-martialed for that. Yeah, gentlemen, you get court-martialed by Jesus Christ. He is your commander, and you're in the army. And he is commanding, go, therefore, and do such and such. The church leaders must actively pursue God and his truth and help others to do the same, avoiding being Avoiding being involved in paralysis of analysis. Should we do this? Should we do it this way? Get there and do it. That's what I say. So elders, for so those who are new, you have entered in an arena where you need to buckle up your belt, get the sword of the spirit and get to work because the battle is coming and you better face it because God has given you the tool to do it. The question is, are you willing to do it the way he wants you to do it? And that is very important to understand. The next thing is talking about here, excuse me. An elder must have his life in order, morally and spiritually, in order to survive. An elder must also have good reputation with those outside the church, so that he may not fall into reproach and a sneer to the devil. That word is repeated twice in that scripture. The devil here is used in a term meaning false accuser. He points finger, you did this time, you did this time, you can't go and tell them. And therefore, he, you become a captive of Satan because of that. It reminded me of the book of Job. Job, have, Satan, have you seen my faithful servant Job? He said, ha, ha, faithful servant, you are kidding me? Hey, you have protected that way. You have given everything we need. Let me touch him and you see how he's going to cast you to your face. Job didn't know this. The contest was between God and Satan. And you can read the story about how it went. But Job never seen at any time even the most precious person in his life said, Job, I can't stand watching you anymore. You're suffering. Why don't you just do it? Just cast God and he can kill you. He said, woman, should you expect good from God and not trouble? So Job understood a little bit of it because he was in tune with God. So gentlemen, you're going to be in the battle. You may not know what's going on, but you need discernment. An elder must have good reputation. That's what it is, according to Timothy 3, 7. A man chosen to lead the church must have a reputation in the community for righteousness, love, kindness, generosity, goodness. All people will not agree with his theology, and he will not doubt face antagonism when he takes a stand for the kingdom of God and truth. Nevertheless, those who from outside the church must recognize him as a man of impeccable integrity and reputation. Now, I don't know how you grew in this country. But I remember my father sending me to a shopkeeper once in a while, and he gave give me the list. Got this, and go to such and such, they will give you those things. One day I came there, and there was this argument between the shopkeeper and the gentleman. And the issue was he doesn't pay. He's getting credit, and he doesn't pay. So he was, so get out of the line, because I need to do the work. Why do you serve him, and you're not serving him, because you don't pay? So I got my receipt and I gave it to him. He said, "Oh, you good, you're good. You pay." He went and got everything that I needed, and he gave me, and he gave me candy too, because my father pays all the time. <laughs> See, in my country that I come from, your name is your credit. I didn't know that you guys get a loan until I came to this country. You can go in my country and go sign many things and get even land based on your name. So if your name is short? Zero you get. <laughs> if you say your son of so and so, they say, come, come here, we're going to give you whatever you want. If you say your son and so, they say, uh-uh, your daddy doesn't do. So is from the apple, so is uh, from the tree, From so, so the apple it is. That's what it is. So what is he talking about? All those things have been enumerated is about reputation. And if you don't have a good reputation, you can't be a good leader because there's nothing to stand for. And that's what it's saying, ladies and gentlemen. So, you can preach all you want, but you have a zero reputation, nobody's going to listen to you. And that's what it's talking about because you're not preach reproach. Therefore, a man's ongoing reputation in the community must be considered before he is placed in a spiritual leadership. Elders need good, good reputation with those outside in the church so they do not fall to devil sneer. That's what he's saying. Satan tries to entrap spiritual leaders, to destroy their credibility, their integrity, and, like, and likes. By the way, elders have vulnerabilities, they have weaknesses, they are not perfect human beings, they're going to fall, they're going to do all kinds of stuff like you do. The difference is that they have been held to a higher office because they are stepping through the office that Christ would do if he was in this earth, early presenting Christ. They have to behave like Christ. And that's the difference. Elders must be particularly discerning and cautious to avoid sneer of enemy so they can be effective leading others, not to lead others from the kingdom, but to lead others to Christ. Remember, you don't qualify because you went to seminary and did XYZ. You qualify because of character. It reminds me of Daniel, the book of Daniel. He was at the, the charge of the three presidents who were jealous. He said, how come a slave comes and become the president? We're going to have to do something about it. And they couldn't find something to do about it. So they said, ah, he's a religion. He's God. Isn't that a neat testimony that people can only say, the only way we're going to get that dude is through his Jesus. And you can read the story of what happened to them. The other one eaten by lions before they hit the ground except him. He didn't get eaten. And the nation was changed because of men's character. Darius the king said, From now on, everybody shall worship the God of Daniel because he saved and rescued from the lions. That's a character we are asking elders to have so that they can be who God wants them to be and lead in integrity. All those things are there. Notice the reputation. Now, this man, I'm sure some of you who invest, you know who that man is. That's the thirdest richest man in the world, William Buffett. They call that the Oracle of Omaha. He is the owner of Betheway Hathaway, the corporation that touches everything that you have, even your mortgage. Yeah, you can see sign around. He is worth 116 billion dollars. That doesn't count his personal wealth. He said that. It takes 20 years to build a reputation, and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you will do things differently. Think before you act. We have a phrase in our school on the a, on a doors, uh, think before you post. If you're an elder, what you're posting online shows your character, your reputation. So be wise. Otherwise, you're gonna lead the people in the wrong way and you don't want to do that because reputation is your character. Notice another person what he said. Reputation for a thousand years may depend upon a conduct of a single moment. Johnson & Johnson, all of you know the company. Right now they're paying billions of dollars because of their product. Everybody was singing Johnson, now they're not singing Johnson & Johnson. Even when they product coronavirus, Vaccine, many people are hesitant to take it because their thing, their powder causes ovarian cancer. Reputation. Company will die on reputation. That's why they change their name also. Have you wondered why the company changed their name all of a sudden? Reputation. Go Google it. Facebook have faced a lot of stuff. Now they just decided to change their name to Meta someday. Reputation. Because they want to keep the clientele. And they want to run away from something. So reputation counts for everything in a leader. And that's what the book of Timothy is talking about. Reputation is very important to understand. Chuck's window said this. A minister character, amen, uh, excuse me, a ministry is a, prof, a character profession. To put a bluntly, you can sleep around and still be a good brain surgeon. You can cheat on your mate and have little trouble continuing your practice, law practice. Apparently, it is no problem to stay in politics and plagiarize. You can be a successful salesperson and cheat on your taxes. I'm reading a quote from Chuck's window. But you cannot do these things as a Christian or a minister and continue to enjoy Lord's blessing. You must do right in order to have true integrity. You cannot come to terms, if you cannot come to terms with evil and break the evil habit and continue to reproach the name of Christ, please do the Lord and us in the ministry a favor and resign. That's Chuck's window. And you know he's a minister and you know what he's talking about. So it's very important to understand that integrity is an imperative in a Christian life. And if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Now, it all can be said, and this is also applying to everyone in this congregation. It may be directed to leaders, but it's also quality and characteristics characteristic that every believer should have. The only difference between you and your leaders is that they hold to a higher honor because they need to be example to you. And we are supposed to be example to you to our family, so that we can see who Christ is by looking at us. And Christian just said that we are supposed to be a pistol. Notice that word, a pistol, Because people don't read the Bible, they're going to read you. He also said we are supposed to be the light of the world. They're in darkness. They need to see you shine. Christ is shining through you as a leader. Second, we are supposed to be a sweet aroma. All this is from the scripture. I don't like stink stuff. Do you like stink stuff? <laughs> when a leader stinks, are you saying somebody with breath, bad breath <laughs> trying to stay up there from, from away? That's how, that's how a uh, no, uh, leader is when they are not doing the right thing. Can, how can they preach that and they are doing X, Y, Z? That dichotomy is what hinders people to become to Christ and to respect you and honor what you're supposed to do. And we need to avoid that at all costs. Now, a leader must also be able to teach and educate the flock the key component of who a teacher, uh, an elder is. Think of preaching as exhorting and proclaiming the word to change lives. Think of teaching as imparting information and insight to inform the mind, change the heart and the attitude, and a conduct of living for kingdom driven with eternal perspective. I'm going to repeat that in case you missed it. Think of preaching as exhorting and proclaiming the word to change lives. Think of teaching as imparting information and insight to inform the mind, change the heart, change the attitude, the things that you do, the conduct of living for kingdom-driven life with eternal pres- perspective. Informed mind make informed decisions. I'm gonna repeat that: informed mind make informed decisions. Granted, we can inform, we can leave it, we can't make people do it, but we need to do our job. Teaching is the most crucial part of the shepherd's main responsibility. Preaching energizes and exhorts the flock to be enthusiastic about the teaching that has occurred, but the major chord of preaching is proclaiming and the major thrust of teaching is conveying insight and truth. So we ought to be due diligent and spend time in order for us to be able to teach. What are we going to be teaching? Not anything. He must teach sound doctrine, lightly dividing the word of truth. In 2 Timothy 2, 5, 15 through 16, says this. Study and do your best to present yourself approved to God, a workman tested by trial, who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully, teaching the word of truth. How skillful and how truthful are you to the word of God? And these include visiting your elders, visiting your people, ministering to their needs, and coming to their rescue. I remember in 1999, because this is a holistic ministry, Carl Snyder, Pastor Carl Snyder, was the the pastor of um, counseling here, and that time, my wife developed what we call pre-cramsia. For you ladies know what that is. Is diabetes when you have, you're, you're pregnant. She was pregnant, and the baby was due within two months. She was rushed and medevaced to Georgetown Hospital. And Pastor Snyder came that time there. I was faced with two choices. Either let them die, or remove the baby, and the baby die, or my wife die if I don't. So I had to make a choice. And he was there to play with me. People remember things that you do for them intangibly. I remember even now. Joshua now is 22 or 20, going to 23 years of age. But Pastor Sinaida was there with us. Yeah, I remember that. Elders, these people are going to remember when you visit them and meet them at they need where they are. That is called holistic ministry. When their marriage is going through crisis and you go there and help them and they survive, they're going to remember. And why is that important? Because they will listen to you when you preach, because you're a spiritual father to them and you're there where they needed you, not just saying it. That is what an elder is. An elder also must be able to defend the gospel. and rebuke the error, that means you need to do apologetics. The word apologia means to defend, meaning to refer to the relational defense of the Christian faith coming from the book of Peter. And you need to be able to discern what the letter is and what truth is, and be able to direct the truth in love and kindness so that you don't lose them. Truth can be communicated in many ways. You can go there criticize, you can go there rebuke and uh, judge mental way, and you lose them. And you can go there, say, you know, brother, sister, we're going to come alongside you and help. How can we help? Ask questions with a caring heart. You're going to get the right answer that you need to be able to do. The word come from what? knew the tale," which means confront in a fragile way. So, ladies and gentlemen, I also say that we need to visit them as a holistic ministry so they, when they are sick, we can pray for them so they can be healed. We also have to mentor the young men to assume the role of eldership because we are not going to be here forever. We die. And the church of God continues. Therefore, young men, we need to mentor some of you to become leaders in the church because we are not going to be here forever. That's, our lead- that's part of teaching. When we go to visit somebody in their home and they're sick and we pray for them, the book of James says they may be raised from the dead and healed or whatever, whatever matter that may be. The word is a testimony, meaning that for whatever feeble issue they have or sickness, and whenever they repent, they sin, if there is a sin, they didn't say there was, say, if there is, they will be raised from the dead, uh, they will be raised from the bed and become productive for the kingdom of God. The question I have for you is this. What have you gained today? How are you going to cho- choose one of the things you have gained today and pry- apply it this week in your life? For the elder, this is what I say. A call to the gospel calls for guts. I'm going to repeat that. You need to have guts in order to apply the gospel properly. Elders and deacons, a healthy plurality of leadership by humble leader is not accidental. It happens where men have guts to apply the gospel. In a self Emptying display of humility, according to Philippians chapter 2. Let the mind which was in Christ be in you. Elders subordinate themselves and appoint a lead teaching elder from among them to become fast among equal. Then, through self-crucifixion or self-display, love and love, the lead teaching elder embodies Christ's application of fast among equal. And serve according to Matthew 20, where it says that you need to uh, treat yourself as a servant. And within the ex- exquisite torture of this tension between fast and equal, the gospel grows more precious, and the humble leadership of one enhances the ministry joy for many. And thereby the kingdom of God is advanced, and Christ, our chief shepherd, the episcopal of our soul, is glorified. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're in this room and you don't know who Christ is, I invite you to know the Episcopal of your soul who died on the cross, Jesus Christ, want you to come and accept him as Lord and Savior so you can understand what we are talking about. As I pray, if you don't know Christ, I pray that you can present your soul to him so that you can become one of us in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you because you have charged us to be readers who em- emulate you so others can emulate us. Give us the fortitude to learn to do the right thing for your kingdom. To remove self, not to be self-centered, but be centered in you so that you can radiate your glory toward us so that we can show others who you are. Today I commit each and every person here, we commit the meeting we are going to have within a few minutes, that you guide us and give us the wisdom and knowledge and understanding To those who don't know you in this room, I pray for them that they may come to know you and acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of their life. And we commit the rest of this week to your hands. In Jesus' name we pray.